Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. God, we're doing it. And look at the front camera's working tonight. Praise the Lord. So tonight's going to be awesome. Have an expectation. Believe God for signs and wonders and miracles, even as we preach through the book of Revelation. And I really want to start by thanking the Lord for opening up our eyes. I really think this is underrated that so many of us don't thank the Lord. And I want to prophesy this to you, that God has woke you up for such a time as this, that you might think it's by chance that you're in this broadcast. You might think it's by chance that you've been delivered, that you've been saved, that you've been healed. But I want to prophesy and preach to somebody that it is for such a time as this, that God has awakened you, that God has saved your family, that God has delivered you and God has picked you up. And for many of us, we've been saved twice. We've been saved once from the world and the second time from religion, that God has saved us from the power of this dead religious system that Paul said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty, friend. There's freedom that we can praise however we want to praise. We can shout. People say, why do you shout? Why do you praise that way? Why are you so passionate? As I shake my whole desk here, it's because I can. It's because for years I couldn't worship. For years I couldn't praise. And friend, how often do we forget what God has done? How often does God bring us out of Egypt and God bring us out of addiction and God bring us out of pornography and anger and bitterness and resentment? and everything that God has brought us out of and then God brings us out only to go to church for a few months and then we forget all that God has done and that's why God told children of Israel over and over come on I'm reading the chat help me preach over and over God would say build a memorial build a stone build a monument so that you don't forget what I've done in your life. And some of you, you don't need a new worship song to get you to praise. You don't need a new latest, greatest, this teaching or preaching. You just need to remember where God brought you out of. And when I remember what God has brought me out of, I don't ever want to lose sight of all that God has delivered me from, from the chains and the bondage. There was a time where I was an atheist and I didn't know how to praise. I couldn't worship. If I wanted to lift my hands, I had so much shame and guilt and condemnation I couldn't lift my hands if I wanted to but it was the mercy and the grace and the power of God that broke my chains and so this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the book of Revelation because I'm learning more about Jesus Christ and here's what's gonna here's what happens and what is gonna happen this Americanized westernized plastic powerless weak Jesus that we've made in our own mind, in our own image, we've made gods after our own hands, we've bowed down and worshiped the idol, you start realizing that's not the God of scripture, that the God that you've been worshiping and praising and doing everything in the name of is not the God of scripture. And so we have to get reconnected. And this is why we thank him, Lord, thank you that you've taught us and showed us who you really are. Guys, I don't want to serve a fake Jesus. I don't want to serve a Jesus I've made up in the in my own imagination. I want to serve the God that still heals the sick. The book of Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that our God is unchanging, that he's not weak. Come on, help me in the chat here. He's not weak. He's not dead. He's not far off, but he's alive right now. Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is alive at the right hand of the Father with the seven spirits of God who is the Holy Spirit burning before the throne. And the Bible says the seraphim saying, you are holy, you are unlike any other God. And so Father, let us not lose sight of that. Guys, I don't wanna get complacent. I don't want to get casual. I don't want to get used to his presence. I want to be comfortable in the presence of God, but I don't want to be comfortable with the presence of God. I don't want the Holy Spirit to pass me by. I don't want the move of God to pass me by. So Lord, I need, come on, share this. I need eyes to see. I need ears to hear. I need to be awakened to who you truly are. I can't live my life casually. That's why you got to get on these broadcasts as I'm, as I'm sounding the alarm. You can't afford Listen to me tonight. I feel the fear of the Lord even as we're starting here. We're not even into what we're talking about. You cannot afford to be asleep in this hour. You cannot afford to be playing church in this hour. Friend, we are in the final moments of human history and God is looking for a bride that is without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. God is looking for people that would preach his gospel. God is looking for people that would lay hands on the sick. God is looking for people that would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and would be alive. He's looking for people that would be alive. You don't have to be a dead Christian. You don't have to be a weak Christian. You don't have to be, and this is gonna set someone free tonight, you don't have to be boring. God has given you the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ is living on the inside of you. You have the power of Almighty God. So what is it with this dead, boring Christianity that we have in America? I don't find anybody bored in the book of Acts. I don't find anybody, people getting out of wheelchairs and you're bored? People getting healed and you're bored? Friend, if we're bored as believers, it's not because God is the issue. It's because we are the issue. And I believe that the power of God is going to be fun again. I believe the presence of God. The Bible says in the day of his power, they will be volunteers. That you're not going to have to force them to pray force them to read. I don't want to have to be forced to preach or to read or to pray. I want to be a volunteer tonight and say, Lord, here I am. You can send me to the highways, the byways. I'll preach your gospel. And we all need to be better at this. We all need to do a better job bringing the gospel to our friends and family. So tonight, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ not the Antichrist, because we are going to talk about the Antichrist, not the revolution of the tribulation, which we are going to talk about the tribulation. And again, if you have kids, I don't know, maybe it'll be graphic for them. I don't know how strict you are, but it's real stuff. This is real stuff. This is not some fi fictitious story or some fictional book. And some of it sounds so out of our mind. Like there's no way to understand this, but I want to tell you that everything that I'm going to talk about tonight is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, and I have chills when I say this, going to happen. It's shocking, it's hard to believe, but it's absolutely without a shadow of a doubt. I know most pastors are not gonna talk about this, most pastors are gonna shy away, because it's not palatable, it doesn't please the crowd, it doesn't make people feel good about themselves, it doesn't make people feel uh, at, at peace with what's going on in the world, and when we preach the word of God, it brings conviction, and God forbid, in the American church that we convicted anybody. We don't convict anybody. We come and preach the soft, watered down gospel to keep people comfortable. But this is going to bring us out of our comfort zone. The Bible absolutely will not run parallel. Write this down with your compromised American Christianity. The Bible will not coexist. It doesn't, it's not synonymous with the lukewarmness. So it's going to keep challenging us. And if there's one thing I know tonight's gonna do, it's going to get you to be burdened 
and convicted to preach the gospel so that your friends and family will not have to live through what we're going to talk about. Now, we've talked about hell before, and we're going to talk about hell today, but it's not hell in Hades or Sheol. It's hell on earth because absolutely what we're going to talk about in the tribulation is all out hell, unspeakable death and destruction breaking out on the earth. And we're only going to be getting to the beginning parts of it, but we're going to start from uh, chapter 7 from Revelation 6. So what you need to know is from Revelation 6 all the way through chapter 19, we're going to see the wrath of God. This is why book of Revelation is not preached in most churches, because this is the wrath of God being poured out on an unrepentant earth. And what you're going to realize is the stubbornness, the arrogance, and the pride of humanity is much deeper, darker, and intense than you can ever imagine. The pride of man, the stubbornness, like some of you tonight, as I'm preaching, you're going to be stubborn. The stubbornness of mankind is so far beyond what anyone could imagine, what anyone's ever dreamed of, and you're going to see stubbornness like never before I was going to this. So what we're going to see is seven seals are broken, six of them in chapter six. Each broken seal signifies the pouring out of a new judgment. And as the judgment and judgments of God unfold throughout the book of Revelation, we'll go through several of them tonight, you're going to see that they intensify. They do not get less. Like as we race towards the judgment of God, as we head towards the, the end times, because we're in the last days, racing towards the end times, which is the start of the tribulation, what you're going to realize is things are not going to get better. And I know a lot of you preachers and pastors are going to cringe right now when I say this, Things are not going to get better. There's no scripture that says as we get towards the end of days, things are going to get better. In the Bible, things get progressively worse as we go towards the end of days. So if you look at just Google earthquakes from the 1900s to 2021, you're going to see progression. If you Google sickness from 1900s to 2021, you're going to see a progressive worsening. If you Google immorality, or if you Google divorce rate, or if you Google suicide, anything that you Google in terms of earthquakes, hurricanes, pestilence, rumors of war, sin, it's going to get increasingly worse. It doesn't get better. And I know a lot of preachers, it's all going to get better, brother. Just, you know, sit on Jehovah Santa Claus's lap. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes God pouring out his wrath throughout the tribulation. But as we race towards the end of days and we race towards the rapture to the tribulation, which the rapture comes before, as you've already heard me teach, I got plenty of videos on this on the channel. You're going to see things intensifying. So remember, God is now going to begin to deal with the earth as a lion, not as a lamb. So as I'm telling you this and you're going, that's not my Jesus, how could Jesus do that? Remember, he's no longer, in Revelation 6, he's going from being the book of Revelation in the beginning, the lamb, we know he's a lamb that as was slain or was as been slain, but now, who had been slain, I'm sorry, but now we're gonna face the lion of the tribe of Judah, the intensity, the ferocity, the power, the might, is going to be the lion. This is what you're going to see. So this is absolutely God doing all these things. And we're not even going to get into all of all of them tonight, but we'll get into at least chapter six and seven tonight. So you need to understand this is a lion we're dealing with. This is not the lamb. This is not Jesus coming back like many of you think to come back and to die again and to declare peace. He's coming to abolish every ruler every dictator he's coming to establish a government that will reign on the earth for a thousand years before the new jerusalem and so he's coming to establish his kingdom he's coming to wreak havoc he's not coming to play church he's not coming to play games the god that you serve and this is new for a lot of you so i have to really make sure i'm saying this clear is a god of war 
He's not coming for peace. He's coming to bring war. So chapter six starts the action portion of Revelation where we start seeing the four riders that are going to shake the earth. These are the four riders that many of them people call them the four riders of the apocalypse. I just call them the four riders of Revelation six because the Bible doesn't say that they're the four riders of the apocalypse. That's just what they've been coined or what they've been named. And this is we're going to see some intense judgments and the darkest times the earth has ever seen or will ever see. We're going into right now the most terrifying event in human history, but every single event, write this down, has a purpose. There's not one thing that God is going to do that does not create or is not there for a purpose. And the purpose of all these events are setting up the return of Christ, where he's going to take over the globe and reign for a thousand years. Remember, the rapture of the church and then the Lord returns to set up his kingdom and set up his government. So that's all these events you're seeing, they're all gonna matter. Now the Holy Spirit has divided these events into three sets of seven, okay? Seven seal judgments, and I'm trying to go slow, but you guys know I'm not going to. Seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments. Now it'd be easy to say these are 21 judgments, but that's not the case, okay? The first six seals are gonna be broken one at a time, Every judgment progresses one at a time. Some experts say it's all at once. It's not all at once because the Bible shows it in a chronological order. So each seal or judgment is broken one at a time. They each produce a judgment for a total of six judgments. The seventh seal is not going to produce a judgment. It's going to produce the seven trumpets. So the first six trumpets produce a judgment for a total of six. The seventh trumpet will produce seven bowls. The seventh bowl is poured out. The tribulation comes to an end. So six seals. The seventh seal, and when I say seal, it's S-E-A-L. The seventh seal produces the trumpets. The seventh trumpet produces the bowls. Once the seven bowls are poured out and the last judgment is released, that's going to signify the end of the tribulation period. Now, here's what you need to know about tribulation. Matthew 24, 31. Jesus said, for there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 31, this is going to be absolutely the worst time of human history. There's no time that's ever been before or will ever be, Jesus says, that's going to compare. Think If you think of the most devastating time, the worst time we've ever had, whether it be what happened at 9-11, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be whatever it could be. I can name a bunch more, but I got to be careful for that we don't get our video flagged. Whatever in terrible time of human history you can imagine, just know that the tribulation period is going to be infinitely worse. Now, you might say, why do I need to know about the tribulation? Well, number one, it's because it's in the word of God, and so we need to know about it. But number two, many of our friends and family that do not get saved before the rapture are going to have to live this hellish nightmare. And so I want this to burden you. I want this to keep you up at night. I want the intensity of what the Bible says to make you burden to say, I got to start preaching to somebody. I got to take the Bible and the gospel serious because if I save one person, if I reach one person and I could prevent them from going through this hell, because if they don't die and go to hell, they're going to go through this tribulation hell, then it's all going to be worth it. So absolutely, we can't write this off. Now, there's many names the Bible uses to describe the tribulation. The day of calamity, the day of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, a day of reckoning, the day of the Lord's vengeance, the day of wrath, the day of trouble and distress, the time of trouble, the great and terrible day of the Lord, a time of trouble, the great and terrifying day, the wrath to come, the hour of tribulation, the great day of the wrath of the Lamb, the hour of judgment, the wrath of God, and finally the tribulation. So this tribulation, again, over and over, we'll see it throughout scripture, 
is going to be categorized as a terrible time. It'll be a time of bloodshed, war. People are going to live in open rebellion to God and billions of people, not millions, but billions of people are going to die through the tribulation. Billions, that's a B, are going to die to this time. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, I know some of you are already sweating like I am. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not going to have to be afraid of the tribulation because in the same way that John was caught up into heaven right before the tribulation started, John being a representative of the church, so you will be caught up before the tri before the rap, um, the tribulation. Now, I know not everybody's pre-trib. I know some of you are mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. I really believe, and if you YouTube this, if you research this, the pre-tribulation rapture, I believe, is the absolute strongest doctrine. Now, it's not a salvation issue, whether you're mid-trib or post-trib, but I am personally pre-trib. But there are some people that are like, they want to go through this. They want to live through this. They're, they're not pre-trib. I'm sorry, they're not mid-trib or post-trib because the Bible says they just want to go through this crazy time. Let me just say this to all of you. I know some of you are super warriors, super Christians, but let me say this to you. I've studied this extensively. I promise you, you don't want to go through this. I promise you that this is hell on earth. Maybe could even be possibly worse for a season. You don't want to go through this. God will have plenty of opportunities to preach to people. There will be 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will evangelize. There'll be angels flying through the air, preaching the eternal good news of Christ. There'll be two witnesses that will be doing powerful signs and wonders, preaching the gospel, and many will get saved. They will call out to God and get saved. I'll show you this tonight through the tribulation, but please stop with this whole, I want to go through it because God wants me to suffer. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus told us that we would escape the hour of tribulation. Remember, the Bible says that Jesus took on the wrath of God. So imagine, and I've said this before, you get saved right before the tribulation starts. You get saved and Jesus takes on the wrath of God for you. And then you have to go through the wrath of God in the tribulation. The tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out. So why would God leave us here for it to be poured out on? And again, from Revelation chapter six through Revelation chapter 19, the tribulation, there's no mention of the church. So just so you know, there's no mention of the modern day church all throughout there. That's why I'm preaching, but we're not going to all that tonight. So chapter six, we're going to start the seal judgments. Chapter four and five, we saw what was going on in heaven last week. And chapter six, we will see what's happening on the earth. I have all this in a playlist. If you're missing it, you can watch it all in order. Now, according to Daniel 9:27, the tribulation period will begin once the Antichrist confirms a seven-year covenant. And this will be signed by others as well, but be, be confirmed by the Antichrist later. That's Daniel 9:27. Now, some people do say the Antichrist is not an actual person, but a spirit, because the Bible doesn't mention the Antichrist as a specific person. But remember, just because he's referred to by many different names doesn't mean he's not a person. So one argument is he has many different names, so he can't be one person. It must be just a spiritual thing. But remember, just like Jesus is referred to by many different names in scripture, doesn't mean he's not a singular person. The Antichrist is going to be a person. In Daniel 7, 8, you don't have to write these down. He's called the little horn. In Daniel 8.23, he's called the fierce king. In Daniel 8.23, he's called the master of intrigue. In Daniel 9.26, he's called the prince who is coming. In Zechariah 11.17, he's the worthless shepherd. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, he's the man of lawlessness. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, he's also the son of destruction. In Daniel 11.21, he's the despicable person. In Daniel 11.36, he's the willful king. In Matthew 24.15, Jesus called him the abomination. And in Revelation 13. 13, 11, he's called the beast. These are all names 
for the antichrist who is a person okay he's not a spirit not just a spirit there is a spirit of the antichrist but he is a person jesus called him the abomination of desolation in matthew 24 15 and jesus didn't say the antichrist is a person but he said the antichrist will stand in the holy place and other verses say he'll sit in the temple sign a covenant and demand to be worshiped and claim to be god so a spirit can't stand in a holy place a spirit can't sign a covenant and demand to be worshiped and physically appear like that the way jesus describes it so it must be describing an actual person so the bible makes it clear that he's a person okay revelation 6 1 verse 1 here we go now when i saw the lamb open one of the seals and i heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder come and see so the judgments don't start immediately terrible but like a snowball they're going to gain momentum and they're going to become as i said earlier progressively worse now notice the one who opens the seal is jesus jesus is in charge of the judgments and their timing jesus said in john 5 22 for the father judges no one but has been committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father so jesus is going to be in charge of the judgments he's the one that's releasing judgment it's not the antichrist it's not satan and he's the one releasing these upon the earth now understand that as out of control as everything is going to seem as out of control as many things are going to feel like or seem to be in the tribulation jesus is in complete control of everything happening and doesn't lose control not even for one second during the tribulation when he opens the first seal one of the four living creatures is going to begin to speak like the voice of a thunder so just visualize all this in your mind as i'm as i'm preaching you guys this and each of the first four seals a horse and a rider are released by one of the four living creatures of chapter four so each living creature is going to release one of the horsemen each horse is waiting picture like waiting in a stall to be released and when the command is given the horse is going to race out upon and come upon the earth it'll not be all at once each horse must wait for its command and its command is going to be given by the different creatures the living creatures at the throne when jesus breaks the seal so when all four creatures have commanded their horses to come forth all four horses will will fully have been released now each living creature summons its horse by speaking three words come and see so every time you see in revelation when the angels say come and see that's the word that's going to release the horse okay and this is consistent with what paul taught the antichrist is being restrained and cannot come forth until it is taken out of the way so there's there's a removal process where these horses are restrained until the angels release these horses and jesus will not break the seal until the first living creature says come um, until the church is removed so the churches has to be first removed before these creatures are being released these horses are being released and this is the grace of god that the lord has spared the church that we are now in heaven possibly seeing these events unfold and happen and we're not having to deal with these these four horsemen and these four riders okay revelation 6 2 and i looked and this is john looking and behold a white horse he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer so chapter 19 i want you to really pay attention here will also speak of a rider on a white horse who's jesus so for this reason very few experts think that the rider that's released is jesus but the majority of experts disagree believing that this rider the first rider to be released is none other than the counterfeit christ the antichrist i 100 believe that the first rider is not jesus 
but it is the Antichrist because we're not going to see Jesus returning until chapter 19. And how is Jesus coming as the white horse if he's the one breaking the seals in heaven, okay? So he's the one opening, breaking the seals. The Antichrist, think about this, shows up on a white horse just like Jesus does in chapter 19 as a counterfeit Christ. And this is the first horse rider is the Antichrist. And it tries to mimic the way Jesus comes forth. Now he comes forth with a bow, which in John's day is a sign of military power. But notice the Bible doesn't say he has arrows, which many revelation experts and scholars believe he's going to come forth as a man with peace. So he has military power, but he comes to sign the peace treaty and doesn't use his military power. And so this is what many scholars believe is why the Bible says he has a bow, but we don't see any arrows because a lot of times in the Bible, you're going to see a bow, then you're going to see arrows. So he has military power, but he doesn't use it immediately. Crowns were worn by heads of state. Those who wore them usually earned or inherited their crown, but this man receives the crown as a gift, meaning he's not going to inherit it or earn it. He's going to be given to given it freely. Revelation chapter 13, two says, now the beast, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth, like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. So who's giving the Antichrist all this power? Now we do know there's going to be 10 groups, 10 kings that are going to forfeit their power over to the Antichrist, but we're not going to get in that tonight. Also, remember, it's going to be the dragon. Who's the dragon? Revelation, the devil's a snake. I'm sorry. Genesis, the devil's a snake. Revelation, he's a dragon. Somewhere between Genesis and Revelation, someone's been feeding the snake because now he appears in Revelation as this mighty dragon. Now we know the devil does have power. He is the God of this world. The Bible doesn't debate that. Jesus doesn't argue that. The Bible says that's who he is. And now he's appearing as this powerful dragon and he's going to give over his power to the Antichrist and the devil being the evil one who's giving over his power. The dragon who we know is Satan empowers the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be strong, but not of his own power, according to Daniel 824. Where does his power come from? Revelation 13:2. It comes from the dragon. The power will also include satanic abilities and power to perform counterfeit miracles. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For example, he's going to make fire come down from heaven, according to Revelation 13, 13. He's going to be armed with Satan's power. The Antichrist will be the greatest conqueror the world has ever seen. He'll cause a shocking amount of destruction. And Daniel says he's going to succeed in everything he does. He's going to be so powerful, according to Daniel 8, 10, that he's going to trample on heavenly beings. He's going to actually trample angels and throw them to the ground. And Daniel 8.25 tells us he's going to try to take on Jesus. Now, we already know because of past teachings that he stands no chance that out of the breath of Jesus' mouth, he will slay the Antichrist and the false prophet. So they're no match for Christ, but they're going to think that they're powerful enough to take on Christ. Okay, he's going to have unprecedented power. He's going to rule over every tribe, every tongue, every nation, according to Revelation 13. He's going to control the ability to buy and sell on earth, according to Revelation 13, 16. The people of the world are going to think he's invincible. And this is what the world's going to say. Who is as powerful as him? This is a man that has all this power and all this authority that's deceived the nations, has now is ruling the earth. And they're going to say, who is as powerful as him? Revelation 13, 4. Who can war against this man? So this is like untold power, untold. Uh, there's never been, obviously, apart from Jesus Christ, a man that is as powerful as this, that has walked the earth, and Jesus is going to slay him, make a public spectacle of him, and out of one breath, 
he's going to be destroyed. Now, this is what the Bible says. Now, when asked about the end times, Jesus told the disciples, the time will come when you see what Daniel spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. That's Matthew 24, 16. The Antichrist is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus spoke about, where he's going to stand in the holy place claiming to be God. He's going to stand in the Jewish temple claiming to be God himself, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. He's going to set up an image in the holy place, Daniel 9, 27, and demand worship. Don't write any of these down. Don't worry. I'm just giving you descriptions of the Antichrist. And he's going to be a man, but he's going to claim to be God. And Revelation 13 tells us the entire world is going to worship him. He's going to demand to be worshiped. He's going to exalt himself above everything that is God and worship. And he's going to reside over the tribulation. He's going to demand to be worshiped. And those that don't worship him are going to be beheaded if they don't comply. Okay, so these are all ultimately going to lead up to the time where the Antichrist which we'll go into another day, is going to wage a war against Jesus. He's going to gather all the armies at Armageddon. All the armies of the earth are going to gather together and they're going to wage war against the rider on the white horse is the rider of Revelation 19, not the rider of Revelation chapter 6. The rider and the first one is the Antichrist who is going to be released, okay? That's writer number one, Revelation chapter six. Now we're in verses three through four. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature. So here we have the second seal, second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and the people should kill one another. And there was given to the writer a great sword. So a fiery red horse and the rider has unusual power. And this is what the second rider is going to do. He's going to remove peace from the earth and he's going to cause men to kill each other. This rider will charge forth with a great sword in his hand, signifying he's going to hold the power of powerful weapons. These can be nuclear weapons. These can be laser weapons. These can be explosives. This can be guns. But we know that the big sword represents weapons of mass destruction. And he's going to remove. It's going to be a time of random violence and pointless murder, pointless violence. People are going to kill each other for absolutely no reason. Now, we do see this today in our world. People kill each other for absolutely no reason. You watch the documentary. You see it on the news. And just recently, there was a big case where someone killed someone for no reason. And, and it goes explosive news the whole world watches and we all go how could someone be so evil so cruel that they could kill another human being for no reason this rider is actually going to drive people to the place of insanity to where they're going to kill each other for no reason the bible says they're going to not only kill each other for no reason but it's going to be what we see on the news maybe once a week once every two weeks is going to be on a mass scale think about this nobody will be safe and no place will be safe you will not be able to go to the grocery store without the fear of someone randomly killing you for absolutely no reason. So this is going to happen on a mass scale. Peace is something, guys, that we all take for granted. When you go to the store, you don't have to worry if you're in America. When you go to the store, I don't worry like, man, I hope I don't get attacked at the grocery store. When you go to work, you don't have to worry about being attacked or being killed. When you go on vacation or the theme park or you just go to the park with your kids, you have peace. And this is peace is what we take for granted. Peace is the fact that I don't have to stress out about somebody randomly killing me, but here's what the rider of the red horse does. He removes peace. And once peace is removed, it is all hell on earth. It's all hell breaking out. The, the depths of humanity and the darkness, the demonic wickedness we're going to see is something the world has never seen before. 
Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But now during this time, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is allowing the rider of the red horse to take peace away from the earth. So that's going to be his number one thing is he's going to take peace away from the earth and he's going to cause people to kill one another. Some experts say that the red horse represents communism. The prophet Ezekiel foretells the rise of a dictator from the far north. Some people say it could be Russia who's going to attack Israel in the last days. That's Ezekiel 38, 39. He's going to advance with a great army carrying swords and riding horses, but will meet defeat when his own troops slay each other because God will turn them on against each other. That's Ezekiel 38. So some say that the rider of the red horse can represent communism, but we're not going to assume anything. We're going to stick to what the text says. Just know that peace is now removed and murder is going to begin to break out. People will have trouble believing Jesus can be the one causing these things. But remember, Jesus broke the seal to remove peace from the earth so that the Antichrist will not continue with his false promise of peace. Remember, the Antichrist is going to promise the world peace, sign the seven-year treaty with Israel. There's going to be world peace. And then Jesus says, no, 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 you will not build an antichrist structure that worships the beast, this false religion. I'm going to allow chaos to ensue and judgments to break out to judge the unrepented earth. Verses chapter six, verses five through six. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. Now we have the third creature and the third horse is about to be released. And behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. These are scales like you weigh things. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So do not harm the oil and wine. Now remember, war is going to rule the world after the rapture. The war is going to kill farmers. It's going to destroy land. It's going to destroy crops. It's going to cause a social, physical, and political collapse of all of these economic structures are going to happen because of the tribulation and wicked men are going to hoard food they're going to confiscate food they're going to cause despair misery poverty sickness death and so this rider is going to bring upon the black represents grief it represents sorrow and he's going to bring on economic collapse again something we take for granted economic collapse is going to break out this is going to be a rider holding the pair of scales the scales symbolize economic disaster and famine so this is the this is the horse of famine and disaster the scales are used to weigh food which food is now going to be sold at a ridiculously high price now a small quart of wheat will cost the equivalent of a day's wage so you're gonna have to work all day long for just one quart of wheat but many will not be able to survive on obviously one quart of wheat. So they'll be forced to buy barley. Now, what is barley? Barley is cheaper food that's fed to animals. So you're going to have to work an entire day just to buy food that's fed to animals. That's how intense this time is going to be because this rider is going to cause an economic famine and an economic collapse. Three quarts of barley are going to be equivalent to a day's wages. So there's going to be no money left to buy clothes, to buy housing, to buy automobiles. And as you're seeing, we're barely in the beginning Things are beginning to collapse all throughout the world. In spite of this, the rich people will still afford items like oil and wine. That's why oil and wine is at the end of this. But the entire world system is now collapsing. Prices are skyrocketing and people are taking advantage of the poor and of regular people like us that are just middle class. And they're going to cause prices to be unreasonable, just like we're seeing now that people are taking advantage of this pandemic to gain power political power financial power so we're going to see wicked men using these things to get to get food uh water fuel medicine all of this stuff is going to be close to impossible excuse me 
This is going to be a terrible time. And that third rider, the rider on the black horse, is going to represent famine and economic collapse. Verses 7 through 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And this one, this rider has a name. And the name of the one who sat on him was named Death. And Hades followed him. And the power was given to them over one-fourth of the earth, or fourth of the earth, to kill a sword with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So after the false peace of the Antichrist, the peace is removed. Mass war breaks out. That's the second rider. Economic collapse breaks out. Now the last horse, which is, in my opinion, the worst horse, is released. And literally the one riding the pale horse is named Death. And things only get worse because following Death is Hades. Okay? Now... The, that's the way the tribulation period, uh, I'm sorry, the tribulation period is described in Amos 5.19 as a man fleeting from a lion only to meet a bear. As a man going into a house, leaning on a wall, Amos says, and a serpent bites him. So, it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to go from one bad thing, Amos says, to another bad thing, and you're not going to be able to escape, and later they're going to try to escape, but we're going to see what happens to the unrepented people that try to escape the wrath of the Lamb. Now, the Bible says the horse, we're on the last horse, will be pale. The Greek translation used for pale is chloros, which means pale green. So chlorophyll, which is pale green, this is going to be a pale green horse, and it's going to be the color of spoiled meat and rotting flesh. That's pale green. When meat rots and flesh rots, it's pale green. This rider is going to be pale green, and his, his um, I'm sorry, this horse is going to be pale green, and the rider is going to be named Death. Following him will be a figure called Hades. We don't know much about Hades, but here's what I want you to understand about this rider. The reason why it says Hades is going to be following him, we can speculate, is because this rider is after unbelievers, okay? This rider is not looking for those that are saved and got saved after the rapture, because remember, there will be many Christians on earth that got saved after the rapture. This rider is actually looking to bring those to Hades. Because if you're a believer and you die, you don't go to Hades. So the reason why Hades is following death is because they're looking for the souls of unbelievers, they're going to harvest the souls of unbelievers to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they're after. They're after filling up Hades, which is hell, and to kill as many people as they can. And they will achieve this by killing one-fourth of all the people on the earth, which is going to be about a billion people. So the rider on the red horse carries a large sword, and we're going to progressively get worse. Let me say it again. The rider on the white horse carries a bow with no arrows. The rider on the red horse carries a large sword. The rider on the black horse has two weapons, economic collapse and famine. And the last rider has four weapons. He has a sword, the Bible says. He has famine. He has plagues. And he has wild animals. So again, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now, the sword represents war and bloodshed. The famine signifies starvation. The plague signifies global disease. And the wild beasts signify the animals on the earth. So animals are literally going to turn on unbelievers. And with all four things combined, over one billion people are going to die. Let me just get that in your head. Not a million people, not 10 million people, not 600,000 people. Over one billion. If it just happened today, if the rapture start, uh, took place and the tribulation started today... Over 1 billion people are going to die from war, going to die from starving, diseases, and animals are going to break out and begin to eat unbelievers. So these animals are literally just going to turn on people. You're going to have a dog. You're going to have, and imagine right now, these are all things we don't think about, but imagine right now all the animals in the world. If every animal in the world turned on people, it would be 
we wouldn't be able to stop them. There wouldn't be enough weapons, enough people. They would turn on their people, and this is what's going to happen and going to cause over a billion people to die. This is what Billy Graham said about the rider on the pale horse. Billy Graham said, it is not God's intent that any man should perish, but when people defiantly refuse God's plan, the consequences of their disobedience is death. The rider on the pale horse is only taking what he has due. Oh man, that gets that sends chills down my back. Billy Graham said, the rider on the pale horse is only taking what he has due. And that is those that are in rebellion and those that are unbelieving are going to be devoured by this rider. Now, friend, if this doesn't motivate us to share our faith so that no one has to live this out and no one has to live through this, I don't know what else does. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God for the testimony which they held. So following the rapture, multitudes are going to accept Jesus and they're going to be called usually the tribulation saints, okay? These are those that have gotten saved after the rapture. Now, believe me and just think about this. After the rapture happens, how many people are going to know what the rapture was because they learned about in Sunday school or they learned about it in one of our broadcasts and they're going to immediately repent and be saved, immediately. So right after the rapture, millions of people are swept away and all of a sudden there's going to be a mass repentance because half the world or a big part of the world is going to say aliens came and the other part of the world is going to say Jesus has returned and I've I've been left behind. I've been left behind and they're going to repent and they're going to serve God. So these are the tribulation saints. Now in Revelation chapter 6 verse 9 which is where we're at the martyrs that are under the altar we're about to see here the souls who are under the altar who had been slain for the word of God these are those, remember, that have been slain after the rapture. So they've been killed through the tribulation. These are them. Now, these Christians in the tribulation are going to be considered a threat to the government, a threat to world peace, a threat to world religion, and they're going to be hunted like animals. And the government is going to have to deal with them, and the way they deal with them is going to be by killing them in unspeakable ways. The New Age movement teaches that there must be a cleansing in order to get to perfection. And this cleansing is going to be death to all those who turn to Jesus. So there's going to be this global, how do I say it, strategy, this global plan to murder every Christian. We must get rid of the Christians because they are going against our one world religion. They're going against the Antichrist and they're preaching against him, and they're speaking out against him, and so we must take care of these pesky Christians, and there's going to be mass murder of Christians. Now, the four living creatures will summon no more horses. The last seals will be different from the first four seals. Now, Jesus obviously is not going to forget his people. He showed John the souls of those slain believers gathered in a special place, and they will have died because of the word of God, and because of the testimony that they maintained, and many of these will be from families of Christians who are left in the rapture. So this may now be your family who's under the altar, the souls of those that are murdered or martyred. Others will be Jews who realize they, realize they made a mistake for not accepting Jesus. Some will have heard the word of God for the first time in the tribulation. Others will finally come to grips with their sin and turn to God. But remember what Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So these believers will, will realize that the Antichrist can do nothing more to them than kill their body, and they will reside under the altar waiting for their glorified bodies, okay? 
Revelation 6.10. And then they cried with a loud voice, saying, now this is the martyrs from the tribulation, now they're under the altar, and here's what they're crying out. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth. So they're crying out to the Lord, asking the Lord to avenge them. The souls of the tribulation saints, which is what we'll call them, are under the altar crying. Instead of rejoicing and praising God, they're crying out, asking the Lord to avenge them. And, and so this is like a plea to them saying, Lord, avenge us, because they're fully aware. And here's what I want you to realize. They're fully aware that they've been martyred, they've been tortured, and they've been persecuted. They're not far off. They're not detached. They're fully conscious, and they're able to rationalize that they've been martyred, and they're asking the Lord to avenge their killers. And they're, in essence, saying, God, why have you not avenged us? Like, why have you not destroyed all these people that are killing believers? But what they, they need to realize and we need to realize is this is all part of God's end time plan and that God will have vengeance, just not yet. Okay, verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would, who would be killed were completed. So... There's a total number of people that will be murdered through the, or I'm sorry, not murdered, martyred through the tribulation period. And these men or these martyrs, not men, but men and women are given robes and told to wait. You need to wait because all of your brothers and sisters that are destined to be martyred or are going to be martyred because God knows all that will be martyred are still on the earth, preaching the gospel, doing their thing. And so you need to wait for them. Now, these robes indicate that righteousness of Jesus Christ is put on them, is given to them, and they're going to have to wait a little bit longer waiting for the plan that Jesus has. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. So when the sixth seal is open, the whole world is going to shake, and John calls this shaking a great earthquake, but the description most scholars and experts believe so, is something more like a nuclear explosion. Now, it may be a great earthquake triggered by a nuclear explosion. Whatever it is, it's going to be massive. The whole world is going to go into convulsions, and the appearance of the sun and the moon are going to be changed. Now, some experts believe it could be a nuclear explosion causing debris to go into the atmosphere, making everything seem dark and the moon look red. So if you ever have fires, which I'm in California, we have fires all the time. The smoke from the fires makes the moon look red, makes the sun look red. So they think that there could be a nuclear explosion. We don't know because remember, John isn't going to say, and um, there was a nuclear explosion. So John is only seeing what he's seeing and trying to explain it in terms that he understands. So this could be a nuclear explosion. The prophet Joel said in Joel 2.31, the sun's going to be turned into darkness and the moon turned into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. So this is a prophecy Joel talked about. And the crazy part about all of this happening, here's what I want you guys to catch in this, is that all of this is breaking out and people are still not repenting. People are still not putting their faith in Christ. People are still not turning to God and crying out for God to deliver them and God to heal them and God to save them. They're still shaking their fist at God and acting like God is the issue. Verse 13, And the stars of the heaven fell down to the earth, and as fig trees drop its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Now, it doesn't fully make sense because the problem is stars are bigger than earth. So if a star fell to the earth, it would destroy the earth. Now we know the earth is not going to be destroyed when the stars fall down the earth. So it's likely 
that John is, uh, the Greek word stars is translated in meteors, which is a, it's a similar translation. So this could either be a meteor shower or a missile attack that John is seeing. And the missile attack is looking like stars falling out of the sky. Now, if you've ever watched a missile attack online or you've watched missiles being tested, it looks like stars are falling out of the sky when massive amounts of missiles are being launched. Are we live still? Because my chat just froze. So let me just check here on YouTube. Okay, type one if we're still live. Come on, Holy Ghost, help me here. I hope we are still on here because my chat is frozen. Are we live? Type one, type one. Okay, I hope we're live here. All right, there we go. Praise the Lord. I don't know what's going on. My thing was lagging, freezing. Oh man, that scared me. I hope that we're still going. Okay, there we are. We're good, we're good. Okay. So this could be a missile attack and a global war that John is seeing because this could look like fall, stars falling. Remember, John's never seen a missile before. So he's just describing what he's seeing. Revelation 6, 14 says, Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and every island was moved out of its place. Another sign of possible nuclear war because during nuclear war, islands are displaced. During nuclear war, the, sun lo the sky looks like it could be getting rolled up. Um, it creates a vacuum and all these type of technical things. Again, this could be John seeing a nuclear war. Revelation 6.15. And the kings of the earth, listen to what happens here. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every man hid himself in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. So it's going to be worse than when floods and hurricanes and earthquakes happen and people go and hide in bunkers, gymnasiums, they get relocated. This is going to be a worldwide panic and does not matter if you're a king, if you're rich, if you're poor or who you are, multitudes of people are going to leave everything behind and they're going to rush in caves and bomb shelters. They're going to flee the cities. They're going to go hide in the mountains. Kings and princes are going to leave their palaces. Great generals and mighty men are going to run for their lives. And every class is going to flee looking for shelter. And they're going to try to survive. The only concern that mankind is ever going to have is survival. The only concern we do, we have lots of moderators, moderators in the chat. I don't know why someone's saying we need moderators, but we got them. Praise the Lord. The only concern people are going to have is survival. This is going to be a point now where people are going to run to caves, run to mountains. But here's what happens. Watch how crazy this gets in verse 16. And they said to the mountains and rocks. So now every man, the Bible says, is running for their lives. Every man is escaping, trying to escape these judgments that are being poured out. These earthquakes, islands moving, stars falling from the sky. And every man, and hear what they're going to say in verse 16. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Let me say that again. They're going to say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. These are panic stricken people. And notice they're not calling upon Jesus. Think about this. They're not calling upon Jesus. They're calling upon nature. They're calling upon mother nature. They're telling the rocks fall on us so that we can hide from the wrath of the lamb. Who can escape? the one that sits on the throne so now finally they're admitting the existence of god and they're even admitting it's possible to anger the lord here's what they're saying we've angered the one that sits on the throne we've angered god we've made him mad and now we're going to try to hide from him but there will be no escaping from the sight of god listen to me chat there will be no escaping the wrath of the lamb because there won't be it doesn't matter where you go no one can escape the wrath of the lamb so instead of look at the stubbornness think about this the stubbornness and the pride 
is the fact that all of this is breaking out and instead of crying out to God, they're calling out to the mountains and they're telling the mountains to fall on them. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? This is what they're saying. This is what the people are saying. The great day of wrath has come. Now they're recognizing and it hasn't even gotten bad. It gets way worse, but they're saying who is able to stand? The day of wrath is another name for the tribulation period and multitudes will recognize the beginning of the day, the beginning of the sixth seal being broken. That day will be the day they recognize that all of this is happening because they've made the wrath of the lamb angered and he's pouring out his wrath on the earth and the dreaded tribulation is happening. Okay. And here's their, here's their question. The last thing they say in, in verse 17, who is able to stand? That's the question. Who is able to stand? And we're going to see who's able to stand in the next chapter. Type one, if you want me to go into chapter seven, we won't go long, maybe 15, 20 minutes on chapter seven. So the chapter overview of, of chapter six, the judgments start, the tribulation begins, the seven seals are beginning to open. The four horsemen who bring upon the Antichrist war, economic ruin, famine, and death. Tribulation period will still turn, still people will turn to Christ and be killed for their faith. And these people are going to be known as the tribulation saints. And they're going to ask to be avenged. And earthquakes going to break out affecting the sun, moon, sky, land, and sea. And after the sixth seal, fear is going to grip everybody. And now the world is going to begin to try to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. Remember, it says every man, not just some men, kings, queens, priests, doesn't matter, rich, poor, the wealthiest, the billionaires will all begin to go into all-out panic trying to escape the wrath of the Lamb, and it's going to get much worse. And at this point, over a billion people have died from the, the, the horsemen of the apocalypse or the end of the world, the four horsemen. Revelation 7, 1. After these things, what things? The seven seals. I saw four, live, four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So now you have angels at the four corners of the earth holding back the wind. So after the six seals are open, four angels are going to prevent any wind from blowing. This does not mean the earth is going to become square, okay? Because they're on four corners. What this means is it's going to fully encompass from north to south, east to west, the four points of the compass. That's what John is saying. And they're going to control the winds of the earth. And without these angels, the airborne plagues from the previous seals would spread around the world and kill everybody. So the reason why the angels are holding the wind is it's going to prevent these plagues and the sickness to spread throughout the entire world because it's not time for the entire world to die. So these angels are going to hold back the wind. Now, the Bible clearly teaches God controls all things. He controls the good winds and the bad winds, the trade winds, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, and everything else. Psalms 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of its treasury. So the Lord is in control of nature and creation. And now God is giving control of the winds to these four powerful angels. Verse two, then I saw another angel, John says, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Okay, four angels are granted the power of the winds and right here in verse two, granted power to harm the earth and the sea. But this angel that comes from the east, we don't know his name or her, or, or we don't know the name of the angel because there's no male or female angels. We don't know the name is now going to tell the angels that are granted power to not harm anyone yet. 
because something's about to happen, okay? Angels are divided into different categories, different ranks, some higher than others. Some angels serve Satan, some serve God. These are all different ranking angels. We don't know who this angel is from the east, but we do know that it's going to have authority over the four angels. So now the angel from the east has power over the four angels that are on the four corners of the earth. The four angels have power, as I said, to harm the earth and sea. But just before they unleash their power, the angel from the east will intercede with a loud voice and stop them. And he will have the seal of the living God in his hand. And it will be used to mark the special group of messengers. Okay. So in his hand, what is he going to have? A seal that he's going to mark these end time messengers with. Okay. These are going to be in his hand, the seal of God. Revelation 7, 3. This is what he's going to say. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the seven, the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, so he has the mark, he has the seal, and he's telling the four angels, and I'm trying to make it simple for you guys here. He's telling the four angels, don't harm anybody, don't hurt anybody until we mark these. Now, the four angels will be commanded to hold back their destructive forces until God's servants could be sealed, and nothing will happen to land, sea, or trees until these special, special messengers are protected. Now, the Bible doesn't say what this seal will be. We're only told that these will be protected by a mark. Now, since the beginning of creation, God has marked people, and these marks are visible that will be placed on the forehead. Again, we know the mark of the beast is going to be marked visibly on people. They won't be able to buy or sell, but God buy or sell, but God also has a mark. We know because last week I taught you about the mark that he's going to give his people, and we know because now these 144,000 are going to be marked, okay? Revelation 7, 4 through 8. And I heard a number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. One of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000, okay? 12,000 from 12 tribes, 144,000 are going to be marked and sealed, sealed with the seal that will not be able to be harmed. But they're not going to come from the church or any particular denomination. They're going to come from the 12 tribes of Israel's of Israel. So there's no doubt that these are going to be Jewish people. These are going to be the Jews. Now, the list of tribes is unusual in that Two of the original tribes of Israel, which is Dan and Ephraim, will gonna, are going to be left out. Now, most experts believe that these two tribes are going to be skipped because they were both guilty of idolatry. So they were disqualified as being special servants of God. So Dan and Ephraim are the original tribes are left out. Some, some even believe that the false prophet from chapter 5 is going to rise from the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Levi and Joseph are going to be added to make up for the two tribes that are left out during the tribulation as the tribe of priests levi was not counted among the original 12 tribes of israel so levi and dan i'm sorry uh levi and joseph tribe are going to be added in for those that were taken out now we call he will call these jews and supernaturally protect them from the antichrist and his followers for their primary purpose write this down of winning souls to christ that's their primary purpose. One commentator said, even though these verses are clear and straightforward, some people want to spiritualize them. Jehovah Witnesses, for example, believe that this refers to 144,000 of their church, members of the church. However, the verse clearly states, 
The 144,000 will come from the 12 tribes of Israel, which excludes all Gentiles. There's no Gentiles in the 12 tribes of Israel. So these are going to be Jews. Absolutely. We can't play you know, mental gymnastics or prophetic gymnastics trying to make them seem to be something else. That's what the Bible says they are. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We just are reading from the text and trying to help you out with the text. That's what it says, okay? Verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hand. So once God has sealed the 144,000, the whole world's going to now hear the message. They're going to preach the gospel. Multitudes are going to believe, believe and be saved. The Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be furious and they're going to try to turn these new believers away from their faith and they will deny people food, medicine. They're going to execute people. They're going to behead people. And the number of martyrs are going to be too many that any man can count. So in chapter verse 9, what you're actually seeing is a group of martyrs that have been killed through the tribulation. These martyrs will be given white robes, symbolizing the righteousness of Christ. They're going to get palm branches, symbolizing the triumphal, triumphal entry into heaven. You might remember Jesus was also given palm branches when he entered Jerusalem before his death. And they're going to stand in the presence of God before Jesus, before the throne of God, okay? Revelation verse nine, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to your God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, this is a massive worship service of those that have been martyred for their faith. And imagine how it's going to sound. Those that have been martyred for their faith, singing, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, it's powerful. If you've ever sang a song that means something to you or matters to you, these people are going to be singing a salvation song after being murdered for their faith. They're going to be singing the song of salvation. And in verse 11, and all of the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And this might be the greatest worship service ever when this multitude of tribulation saints stand before the throne, praising and glorifying the Father and the Son, all of the angels joining in, followed by the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Now, I want you to notice all the groups are there with the tribulation saints. The 24 elders, we already know, those represent all of the church. The angels, the four living creatures, everyone in heaven is participating in this worship service. And here's what they're saying in verse 12. Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, amen indicates the angels will agree with the tribulation saints that salvation does belong to our God. Salvation does belong to, our, to, our, to the Son, and the Son and, the, and God our Father deserve all the glory, all the credit, and all the honor for these souls being saved. And the angels are going to break out with a sevenfold declaration of worship, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanks, Honor, power, and might all belong to our God forever and ever. And we've, we've already talked about that before. Verse 13, Then one of the elders said, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? So now one of the elders is asking, and John's hearing this, Who are these people? There's just a mass amount of martyrs. Who are they? And this is John's response. Now, they already know the answer. They're not asking because they don't know the answer. They're asking because they want to make sure everyone else knows the answer. It's like when a teacher asks you in school, like, what is this? And you say the answer, and it's not because the teacher doesn't know. It's because the teacher wants you to say it in front of the class so that everybody knows the answer. And this is why the elder's asking, verse 14, And I said to him, Sir, 
you know. So he said to me, so John's acknowledging that he already knows. And this is the elder's response. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So he's telling us who they are. These are those that have come out of the tribulation, have been martyred in the tribulation and washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So the great multitude before the throne of God will come out of the tribulation. They'll be saved, clothed in righteousness. And these will be those that put their trust in the shed blood of the lamb. And the elders answer tells us what the 144,000 Jewish witnesses are going to be preaching. Here's what they're going to be preaching. The blood of the lamb. That's the message. The message is there is a man, the last lamb, Jesus shed his blood so that you may be, your body may be destroyed, but that the Antichrist will never be able to destroy your soul. He'll never be able to take you to Hades. He'll never be able to bring you into this mark of the beast, one world system. But Jesus Christ, the worthy lamb, has taken away our sins so that we can escape death. So that we can escape the rider named death, that we can escape Hades, and that we can be alive and alive evermore. That they might be dead on earth, but they're alive with Christ. Verse 15, therefore they're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So this is a very, very special promise. On earth, the saved are not safe anywhere. Think about this, guys. On earth... Those that are believers are not safe anywhere. They're having to hide out, go underground. They can't get food. They're going to either starve, they're going to die of disease, or they're going to be murdered. And no, there's no way they could escape the clutches of the Antichrist. Now, suddenly they die, and they're going to find themselves in the throne of God, face to face with, Je- face, to face with Jesus, surrounded by angels, clothed in white robes, and protected by God. What a transition that's going to be from complete and utter chaos into complete peace from complete darkness to complete light from complete devastation to complete wholeness and hope verse 16 they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore the sun shall not strike them nor any heat so now we're seeing a polar opposite of what these tribulation saints went through they went through hunger starvation thirst the sun is incredibly hot and now they're completely safe and they're no longer going to be poisoned, burned by the sun. They're no longer going to hunger, thirst. They're no longer going to suffocate because of the heat. Once they arrive in he- heaven, it will never happen again. They will be in the refuge of the Almighty. This is amazing, guys. I get a little emotional talking about this, but it's going to be a place of constant protection, a place that cannot be breached, and God's promise that they will never suffer again. That's God's promise because they're going to have gone through this incredible seals, judgment, persecution, and now God's promises you're never going to suffer again. Verse 17, last verse of Revelation 7, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Whose eyes is he wiping away? The tribulation saints. The lamb who stands in the midst of the throne of God will preserve the tribulation saints. He'll feed them from the tree of life. He'll let them drink from fountains of living water. And he'll also tell us the the saints are destined for a great deal of weeping before they depart the earth. They They will face incredibly harsh living conditions, terrorizing circumstances, and the loss of loved ones. And their tears will have a reason to fall. But when they get to heaven, God will wipe away their tears. Because I want you to remember this. They're going to they're going to have have faced terrifying circumstances. They're going to be on the earth during all this chaos, but now the Lord says, "I know you had tears. 
I know you cried. I know that you were in terror. I know you were starving. You were burned by the sun, but now I'm going to wipe away every tear. Okay, let's chapter seven recap. An angel will place the mark of God in the foreheads of God's servants. And so his judgments do not harm them. God is not finished with Israel. He's going to seal 144,000 of them and mark them with a mark of protection, 12,000 from each 12 tribe. During the tribulation, multitudes will be killed and these martyrs are going to find themselves in heaven standing and worshiping before Jesus. A great worship service starts in heaven and when the tribulation saints begin to sing, followed by the rest of heaven's inhabitants, they all start worshiping God as the author of salvation. And then lastly, God promises that the martyrs will never ever again have to endure the hardships they suffered on earth and he promises to wipe away every tear. And that is Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7. Praise the Lord. Let's get some ones in the chat and let us pray tonight. Father, we ask you in Jesus' mighty name, Lord, that you would just touch every single person listening. Father, I pray that you would wake us up. And I really believe the Holy Spirit saying that there's some of you that have heard me tonight and you want to get saved. You want to repent of your sins. Now, friend, listen to me. Salvation is not you repeating after a prayer and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Salvation is you fully repenting. Acts 2.38. You repent of your sin and you say, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. I acknowledge that you really did die and you rose again on the third day. And I put my faith in you. I put my hope in you. I put my life in your hands. I die to self and I fully surrender to you. That right there is how you biblically receive eternal life. It's not, oh, pray this prayer, brother. No, it's you coming to a place where you say, Lord, I really want to serve you. Lord, I really want to know you. Maybe you've been a lukewarm Christian and tonight you're saying, Lord, I really want to know you right now in your own words, just begin to repent. Friend, no one led me through a prayer the night I went from being an atheist to a revivalist, but I got to a place where I said, Lord, I really want to know you. If you're real, if you're real, I'll give everything because I didn't believe God was real and God revealed himself to me and the rest is history. Friend, right now, right now, you can turn to God. What must we do? They said in Acts 2.38, Paul, Peter preached, Peter preached a convicting message. They said, what must we do? Here's Peter's response. He didn't say repeat after me a prayer. He said, you must repent, be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Right now is your first chance to repent. And then you can be baptized and God wants to give you the Holy Spirit right now. Father, I pray you'd convict every person listening, Lord. I pray you'd bring those to repentance, Father. I pray you would touch those, Lord, that need a touch from you. That by the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to touch hearts. That repentance is a gift of God. Salvation. We can't earn this, friend. We're not earning this tonight. It's a free gift. And Father, I just know, I know the Lord's telling me that people are going to get saved tonight. Uh, people are being saved tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now that they would make that decision. Come on, guys, get off the fence. This is hell on earth. We haven't even got into the tribulation. We're barely on the six seals. It gets worse. You don't want to live in this. You want to be one of those that is standing before God, worshiping at the throne, raptured up before the tribulation. You want to be one of those he promises that will escape the wrath of God. I want to escape the wrath of God. I don't want to be running and hiding in caves, asking the caves to fall on me when I could ask the Lord to save me tonight. Father, touch your people. Time is short. This might be the last message you ever hear. You're not, you're not promised tomorrow. Only a fool is planning for tomorrow. Only a fool has tomorrow on his calendar. Father, right now, save your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, I can't do this, guys. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do, we pray. 
Holy Ghost, move right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you to move. I pray, Lord, those that are repenting tonight. That's the only biblical way is repentance. Don't let anybody lie to you. Repentance is the only biblical way to receive Christ, to receive salvation, to pick up your cross. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, I'm pretty sure Jesus knows what to do. He says, here's what you have to do. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come after me. Repentance is denial of self. Turning away from my dreams. Turning away from what I want and what I think is good for me. Saying, Lord, you know what's good for me. Have your way, oh God. Have your way, oh God. Tonight, Lord, do that. Do that in them, Father. Lord, let them pick up their cross. Come on, repentance is the only thing. Repentance is the only thing that's going to help you in these days. Right now, Father, I repent, God. If there's any sin in my life, come on, let that conviction rest upon you. If there's any sin in my life, Father, I repent right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would forgive me of any sin, God, any known or unknown sin. I repent, God, and I pray that you would just change my ways. You would change any unrighteousness, God. Cleanse me. Let me put on that garment of salvation, those robes of righteousness. Father, wash me in your precious blood. Renew me. Renew me tonight, God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Right now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come on, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You got to ask. You got to ask. Repent and then ask for the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Ask him right now. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray you'd fill every person that you would touch him right now. That you would touch him right now, Lord. Touch him with your Holy Spirit. Fill him with your power. Fill him with your anointing, God. Touch our families. Touch our marriages. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit and power. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit and fire. We pray fire of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon us now in Jesus' name. Wash us, God. Thank you, Lord. Heal bodies right now, Lord. Heal bodies right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Heal bodies right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, do what only you can do. I pray right now, touch David, touch Paula, touch John, touch Rosanna in Jesus' name. Touch our families. Touch Gabby, Veronica, Wanda, Mar- Mariella, Will, Melissa, Amanda, Amy, Father Becky. I pray touch him in Jesus' name. Touch Nina and Roz and Jail and True and, and, and Rico and Christy, Rose, Cassie. Father, I pray you would touch him in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do, God. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and power. Heal bodies, I pray in Jesus' name. If you need healing, put your hand wherever it is you need healing. I pray, Lord, that you would release your healing power. Release your healing power right now, I pray, Father, and you would just touch bodies. I pray you would deliver in Jesus' name. I pray you would deliver in Jesus' name. Deliver your people in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Deliver your people in the mighty name of Jesus, God. Do what only you can do. I pray for Leah's mom right now, Father. Touch her. Touch her. Heal her right now from that accident, God. Lord, remove sickness. Remove demons right now. Drive demons out, Father. We pray deliverance. Satan, you must go. Every demon must go in Jesus' name. Every demon must go into the abyss now in Jesus' name. You have no power. You are defeated. Get out in Jesus' name. We bind you in Jesus' name. Father, have your way. Father, have your way in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do, Lord. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do. Have your way, Father. Heal bodies in Jesus' name. Fill people in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Ghost, do what only you can do. 
do and only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. Holy Ghost fire, Holy Ghost power. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.